0: Today's episode of Lions of Liberty is sponsored by Ammo.com. And if you've ever wanted to save money purchasing ammunition while helping a libertarian cause, well, this is your lucky day because, you see, Ammo.com is run by fans of this program, fellow liberty lovers like yourself, and they want to give back to Lions of Liberty fans by offering $20 off any order over $200. Not only that, but they will redirect 1% of every sale to a pro-freedom organization such as the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the Institute of Justice, and many more. Not only can you save money, but you can rest well knowing you are supporting a great liberty cause. So head on over to ammo.com slash Liberty, or just click the link conveniently located over at today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 360. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hi-dee-ho, Liberty neighbors, and welcome back to the original, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, known simply as... That's right, the Lions of Liberty podcast, a show that I started just over five years ago where I interview leaders in the libertarian movement, try to get down and dirty and dig into that philosophy of liberty each and every week. I also host fun roundtable discussions like the one you're going to hear next week with The Return of the oh-so-popular libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. So I very much look forward to that. Getting back together with my Lions of Liberty compatriots, we'll also have a very special guest on as well. But it's not just little old me here at Lions of Liberty. In fact, we are the only libertarian variety show out there. We give you a different kind of show, three days per week, of course. As I mentioned, you got me every Monday. On Wednesdays, Brian McWilliams slaps you upside the head with his sometimes vulgar mouth and his comedic outlook on current events in the liberty world on electric liberty land we also have a john Odie Odermatt wrapping things up every Friday with his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You get a whole lot of bang for your buck for hitting that subscribe button on the Lions of Liberty feed whether you listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Alexa. You can even shout to Alexa. She will play the Lions of Liberty podcast. Spotify, wherever. I don't care where you listen as long as you're here with us each and every week spreading the ideas of liberty. Speaking of which, let's get to it. All right. My guest today is making his second appearance on this program. He is the founder of the Libertarian Leadership Academy, which helps coach libertarian candidates and activists to create winning campaigns. He's also the author of the book Libertarian Leadership, Planting a Seed for the Libertarian Future. And he'll soon be publishing a second book called Your Campaign Success Coach. I'm so pleased to welcome back Mr. Michael Pickens. Michael, what's up, man?
1: Mark, hey, thanks for having me back.
0: Man, I must be off my game, and of all people to forget to ask this to in five years of podcasting, how could I forget to ask you, the other libertarian lion, if you're ready to roar? Yes, <laughs> I'm ready to roar! All right. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. When we first sucked up a couple of years ago on the last podcast that you did, you had mentioned that you also use this sort of moniker of the libertarian lion. I believe you even have a tattoo of such. Uh, yeah. So why exactly are you a lion? I mean, I know that the porcupine is, is the current symbol that the party uses and the, that libertarians often associate with. But what is it about the lion? I think we have similar ideas on this. What is it about that lion that, that is so symbolic about liberty?
1: So I'm a Leo one. But I think as, am uh, I. as a child, I read the books from C.S. Lewis, Lion's Witch and the Wardrobe. Or the, and Aslan in that really had an impact. So I always looked at a lion as if it was more of benevolence, you know, protecting people, things like that. So I know that the symbol of a lion has more to do with, let's say, empire now because of certain empires, certain countries using it. But, you know, I really like it more of as a protector.
0: Gotcha. And uh, what, what is it this lion is protecting? Hopefully it's individual rights, uh, personal freedom, and that sort of thing. And uh, that is what you are always out there trying to get other – you're really a more behind-the-scenes guy trying to help other candidates and activists with their campaign. So why don't you tell people out there, how exactly did you get involved in this in the first place? How did you become active working with political campaigns sort of behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, so I first learned about libertarianism from Ron Paul back in 07-08 left the Republican Party in 2011, joined the Libertarian Party, was still rooting for Ron Paul until he didn't get the nomination in 2012. Then I started helping out Gary Johnson's campaign in Washington state. From there, realized that the only way we're going to get a Libertarian elected president is if we had a bunch of Libertarian city council members. We had a bunch of Libertarian county commissioners or state representatives, right? We had to get good at winning these small seats. When you look around from 2012, their election results to the election results in 2016 in Washington state, it was night and day. We almost broke 5%. But the reason why there were such big gains in 2016 is we had 36 candidates on the ballot around the state versus 2012 when we didn't have any candidates on the ballot around the, around the state. So now as that network continues to build, 2020 is looking even better. And I'm seeing this all across the country, these larger gubernatorial races that we're seeing the senate races where they have professional campaign staff they have professional marketing people they have good websites they're putting on events they're getting out in the media like these guys have leveled their games up over the years right and that's one of the big things that we teach in the libertarian leadership academy is to level up our skill sets if we're going to be successful we need to have an educated and empowered network of libertarian activists and candidates that's going to be huge for us
0: so are you in favor, then, of, you know, there's been this kind of internal debate over whether the party should run, look to run a lot of candidates? I believe the goal was 1,000 candidates in this past election cycle. I think we fell a bit short of that. Or, you know, there's also the other side that says, you know, we should really, we shouldn't be looking to run numbers and numbers. We should be focusing just on a few big, winnable campaigns, and everybody should be putting all their resources into that. Obviously, there are, those are two extreme sides of it, but where do you fall within within that sort of philosophy about who should be campaigning and how many how much resources? should should be going into certain campaigns.
1: Yeah. So I kind of fall in the middle of that. I don't like the idea of a bunch of paper candidates. You know, what happens is the media will then reach out to these candidates, people who put their name on the ballot for interviews, for questionnaires. And a lot of times if a candidate's a paper candidate, they won't even respond. So -hmm. it makes us really look really bad in the media's eyes and perception when they put out an article that says, oh, the libertarian candidate did not respond. Mm -hmm. Makes us look like we don't care. So if someone's going to run for office, they should at least be willing to do the bare minimum. That's to put up a good website, put out some type of marketing pieces, get your ballot statement up, as well as respond to media requests. They have to be able to do that. So it's really, you know, the bare minimum is like a 10 hour a week campaign. So I don't really like the idea of everyone should be running and we just need candidates on the ballot. That doesn't do us any favors, I don't believe.
0: So it's it's more kind of anybody who is willing to put in at least that bare minimum of time, bare minimum of, of effort, and to actually represent the party in some way throughout that campaign, that the maximum number of those people should be running. Is it more kind of about who is running as opposed to just a flat-out number?
1: Yeah, this is a thing, man. There's a, There's a couple – of key pieces to running for office that each candidate needs to pay attention to and activists as well. If they're active in the libertarian party, the first thing they have to be willing to do is to build a network, is to go out in the community and start shaking hands and start building their network up. You know, whether it's local business owners, other voters, their neighbors, they have to start making connections into the community, especially, especially philanthropic organizations. That's the first thing they have to do. The second thing, they always have to be growing. And that's personal development, right? Reading books on people skills, personal development skills, business development, fundraising, whatever it is, marketing, advertising, whatever aspect of a campaign that someone wants to work work on, they need to be upgrading their skill set on that. So anyone can volunteer in any capacity they like if they want to make phone calls or they want to stuff envelopes or if they want to respond on social media, whatever it is, they just got to get really good at it.
0: What's great about what you're talking about there are all the skills that you mentioned there, you know, personal development, networking, marketing, that sort of thing. These are all skills that help you in life no matter what you're doing. So even if your campaign doesn't work out the way you want it or what have you, the skills that you need to develop are just valuable life skills, period, valuable business skills, period. So worst case scenario is that you get to talk to some people about libertarianism and libertarian ideas and develop skills that will help you in other aspects of life as well.
1: Oh, definitely. There's some really good examples that we have. We have a gentleman named Paul Addis, who's gone through the academy. He's also helping Robin Kerner out and has learned a lot from him as well. But he's ran for office three times. He was one of the original candidates we brought on board back in 2012. And he almost won his city council race last year, you know, 45% of the the vote. But now he's a campaign manager for Matt Dubin, a Libertarian candidate in Seattle, and they've raised over $60,000 for that state house race. And he's able to use the skills that he's gained over the years from campaigning to help another candidate and to help train other people. So the Republicans and Democrats, you know, have 30, 40, 50 years more of running campaigns and winning. We need to have that bench of solid activists and candidates that have the experience necessary to win.
0: And since you mentioned Matt Dubin there, I'd be remiss not to ask about it because it's funny. We're recording this on the same day that we recorded the, Le- the League of Liberty podcast. That's a podcast that we do only for Patreon supporters of a few different shows. I'm on there with Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians, Roger Paxton of the Lava Flow, and Johnny Adams of the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. And, and as you know, because you were involved in this, this sort of a online debate not that long ago, there was a bit of a controversy over something that Matt Dubin had said in regards to restrictions on guns. And I, I don't want to, I'm not going, I don't want to misquote him, but it was something along the lines of he's okay with keeping, you know, with raising a minimum age of purchasing a firearm and with and with reasonable background checks. He was actually responding to say he did not support a certain, you no know, gun control bill. But I guess that statement kind of caught the ire of certain people, Johnny, obviously being one of them. And you kind of jumped in, not to defend the statement, but to kind of just say, like, you know, these, this is still a candidate worthy of support. This doesn't mean you should drop away. It's fine to criticize the statement, but, you know, it doesn't mean you should just drop the candidate altogether or run away from the candidate at, at this point, you know, in this stage in the game. So I'm just kind of curious what your overall philosophy is when it comes to, you know, obviously we're all doing this because we want to change the way the government is. We want to change people's principles. You know, how do you feel that sort of pragmatism versus, and I don't even think this is a definitely, you know, sort of a a real paradigm pragmatism versus principles. I I believe we can have both at the same time, but how do you do you sort of view that when it comes to candidates that might veer from principle on a statement here or a statement there or that sort of thing?
1: Sure. So, Let's take Johnny, for example, right? I remember when Johnny filled out a form on this Libertarian Party Washington website, and I called him. He wanted to do a Libertarian radio show, gave him a call, talked to him, encouraged him. You know, he told me he wasn't a complete Libertarian, right? He called himself a conservative at the time. He was more pro-military, and he'll admit this. And when he started putting out the show. I helped him with his website, helped him with marketing, promoted him, had him speak at the convention, became friends, right? And I still consider Johnny a friend. But I treated him with a lot of respect. I respect his views. I d I wasn't like, oh, well, you're you know, you're too pro military for us. You need it, you know, you can't be hosting a show, you can't be speaking at our convention, right. blah, 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 blah. You know, none of that. And it's the same thing with other candidates. I use the I Side with test, with dot com. When people want to run for office, if they score over 70%, you know, I'll talk to them and see where they're at and say, okay, we'll run for office. And that's worked in the past where guys like Steven Nielsen, who ran for state representative, scored 72% libertarian on that. And he ran for state representative, treated him like a brother, right? became really close friends. And the next time he took the I side with Tess, two years later, when he was looking to run for public lands commissioner, he scored 86 percent libertarian. And I've seen this across the board with a lot of people that I've recruited, that they've become more libertarian. As they've come on board and have gotten active, because if they find a group of people who are friendly, who are willing to pick up the phone and say, hey, maybe we should do something like this instead, or maybe we should put out a statement like this instead and treat people with respect, what happens is they become more libertarian. But when we put up walls, we're pushing people away, really. If, we're, if we use conflict, if we use our our ability to... Get press and media to attack people, and you know I'm guilty of it too. I'll admit that I've made a lot of mistakes over the course of my years in the Libertarian Party. Maybe pushed some people away as well, being overcritical of Gary Johnson. You know, is a good example. You know, I'm. But everyone's
0: done that. Come on, (laughs) right? But it's a rite of passage. If you haven't, you know, criticized Gary Johnson for something, then you're then you're not a real libertarian.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but looking back, you know, I read a book by a gentleman named Bob Berg who's also libertarian he's a personal development guy too he's got the go giver but it's called turning adversaries into allies that's what the book is called and it is all about turning these conflict relationships into more prosperous friendly type relationships right and that's the only way that that we're going to really grow our organization is if we work on our ability to connect with people build relationships and get things to get them to see things you know more our way and more of an ethical way as far as government goes. But, you know, these guys have every right to complain. He's a, he's a libertarian candidate with a big L next to his name, right? That's, we're all trying to protect the brand in some way, shape or form. I've helped to push out a few candidates that were really pro war, really pro Trump, really pro drug war over the years. I've done the same thing. And sometimes you've got to draw a line. It's just, where do you draw the line? And what brings the most, most value to the organization? And I think that right now is recruiting people, helping to train and coach and build relationships. That's where we should be focusing our effort on, not at policing other candidates, especially candidates that aren't even in our, our local area.
0: Yeah, so I guess in some ways it really is about finding that balance because you know everybody that joins the Libertarian Party generally does so because of the principles, because they find a place where they are finding principles that they weren't really finding in the Democrat or Republican Party. So a lot of people, once they get involved, they do really want to protect those principles at the same time. People that just come into this party are no one's coming in 100% pure libertarian. Hardly such a thing even exists anyway because we disagree on so many, you know, nuanced issues here and there. So you're never going to find anybody that just checks every single box. I mean, at least not most of the time. So I guess it comes down to, you know, how do you deal with when people are are going what you see as off message? You can criticize and try to correct them, or you can just say, you're not a libertarian, get out of here. There may be circumstances where, like you said, you push out people who are super pro, pro war, super pro Trump and you know if someone's out there you know advocating you know they're they're pretty good on a couple of libertarian issues but they want to you know they want to uh, keep marijuana illegal and put it, put it give everyone you know life prison sentences for selling it then that's probably someone that should be pushed out if they're they're not willing to drastically change their views so I, I guess it really is just about you know finding that balance ultimately
1: yeah but it's at the same time the people that I've pushed out in the past i never made the legitimate effort to try to become their friend and to right. Know, really talk to them about it, and actually sit down with them and treat them like a human. So, these are things that I've, I'm learning, right? And then looking back at the way that I've acted in the past in certain situations, and like, hmm, maybe I should do it differently next time, right? Right? Maybe I should give Johnny a call and talk to him about it you know, instead of talking about them on your show.
0: Right? <laughs> right? We can do both. We can do both. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and it really does speak to your philosophy about campaigning in general, kind of what we're talking about here. Even, you know, it's you, this is why you always say people should commit to running three times because you're just learning so much each time, as well as like, as you always talk about building that network. So hopefully by the time you get to that third campaign, not only have you learned so much and made yourself a better candidate, hopefully made yourself more principled, hopefully upped your eyesight with score to like Ron Paul level or something. <laughs> Um, you know but hopefully at that point you have also built such such you know such a great network that you're really able to run a you know what looks closer to a a real political campaign so to speak
1: yeah definitely so if we create an environment that helps people learn and helps people grow then we're going to have you know just a much easier time in the future retaining more members and winning elections because that's what it's all about
0: it does also seem to be, you know, a lot of times it is a matter of perspective, because you were often critical of Gary Johnson, so was I. Uh, We did an entire segment on the show about Gary Johnson, and at the end of the day, a lot of those same people, including myself, that were very, very critical of of Gary Johnson as a presidential candidate, those same people, including myself, are super excited about his Senate campaign, because he seems like the best senator we could ever have, even if he didn't seem like a perfect, you know, libertarian candidate to be representing the brand as the presidential candidate. Suddenly, when you just change the perspective, you know, less than two years later, everyone's excited about it. So it's it's funny how this can all work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So the key here is how do we educate more people faster, right, right, on this stuff? Because if that's the complaint, candidates not being libertarian enough, how do we educate them and to get them on a more libertarian path? So, even the training that we have that's online that all of our candidates go through, the first, second, third training is what is a libertarian? What is the non aggression principle? Right? We got clips from Ron Paul teaching the non aggression principle in there. And this is stuff that's very important. It makes libertarians libertarian, right? The principle of self ownership, non aggression principle, these are all things that we do have to push out there because it makes us the most ethical political philosophy in existence. And actually, the only ethical, political philosophy in existence. So that it is something important that we do have to protect. So I get people's concerns on that. Let's just try to figure out better ways to police ourselves. We will.
0: Mike, as, as I'm sure you know, we also do a new show here. That's obviously we'll probably ramp it down around late October when all these campaigns are ramping down. A show called "Candidates of Liberty," where we're trying to, you know, find a little slot where we can just highlight all the many, many great libertarian campaigns out there. But you know, one one thing about libertarian campaigns, obviously, we'd love to win every single one of them. But I think one of the most important things that a libertarian campaign can do is not just simply educate people about the ideas of liberty and and the principles we hold dear, but also to inspire people. to to inspire other people to get involved and hopefully many of those people later on become candidates. I mean, how many people simply that I've interviewed on the show alone are currently running because they were inspired by seeing Ron Paul up there or yes, even Gary Johnson. I've had people on the show who first heard about the ideas through one of Gary Johnson's presidential campaigns. So there are a lot of ways people can get inspired. So what I want to kind of focus on right now a little bit is for anybody out there that maybe has gotten inspired by, you know, by some of the various candidates they've heard interviewed on the show or, you know, what have you. What sort of advice can we give to those people for how they should launch a campaign or if they even should launch a campaign? I mean, what are some of the first things someone should think about before they decide if they are actually going to run a campaign and not just be a paper candidate? Like you said, if they, you know, obviously if somebody works a 90 hour a week job and then has seven other hobbies and isn't willing to give any of that time up, maybe that person should be running a campaign. But what are some of those, you know, few, few boxes you think people should check before doing so?
1: Yeah, since I I know we have a limited amount of time, I want to tell a quick story that I think will lead right into your question. Sure. So when Larry Sharp decided he was going to run for vice president back in 2016, we had talked about it a couple months before the convention. And then two weeks before the convention, he actually made the decision once he found out that Weld was going to be the vice presidential nominee for Gary Johnson. We quickly devised a strategy to come up with a bunch of content and to release a bunch of content as quickly as possible and sponsor ads on Facebook. So since that nomination, he barely lost it, right? You remember that barely lost the, the VP slot. But after that we planned for the governor's race. And we continued with it. Content, content, content. So if you're looking to run a campaign, you're going to have to practice your writing skills. You're going to have to practice your speaking skills by actually doing it. Write blogs, write press releases, record videos, short videos talking about your different positions. You're just going to have to push out content and you're going to have to just get better at it over time. So Larry was also sponsoring those ads. We were putting 10, 15 bucks, sometimes five bucks on ads, sponsoring out there, and it would build his audience. So, if you're looking to run for office, or let's say you're in leadership for a county or state Libertarian Party, you've got to be running ads. The campaigns right now that are having the most success is because they're putting out one content and they're paying to push that content out. So, when they pay to push that content out, more people are going to see it visibility credibility profitability right it's something that's taught in business networking international i was a president of bni local chapter and in there the way to have a profitable business or endeavor or campaign and when i say profitable campaign we mean votes right we mean volunteers fundraising dollars as well right those three things so to be able to be profitable we first have to be visible the more people see our message and hear our message and the more they hear it from other people as well, the more credible we become. Once we become credible in someone's eyes, they'll vote for us, donate for us, right? They will take the time to learn more about our campaigns. So when running for office, candidates really have to be able to expand their comfort zone and really learn the skills to create content, writing, speaking. Those are the main things that we need a candidate to do, is to consistently put out content so we can reach new people.
0: And the good thing with Publishing that kind of content, whether whether it's video content or writing, is you can do that stuff on your own time whenever you can find that time. Maybe it's 3 a.m. You know, who knows? But if you can carve out the time to do it, well, then you can do it. You know, that's basically what it comes down to. What sort of I guess I kind of want to look at the other end. What are some of the most common mistakes that candidates make when they're first looking to run for office? Obviously, in my mind, I think expectations would be something to think about because you just have to know you're probably not going to get 70 or 80 percent of a vote going into a libertarian campaign that's just not realistic so to me expectations would be it would be one of them but what are do you think are unrealistic expectations i guess so what do you think are some of the more common mistakes that people could avoid now if they're if they're listening to the show and thinking about running a campaign
1: just not understanding how much work it's actually going to take to run a successful campaign so and then in that it's succumbing to fear because the, the candidates who won't take the actions necessary to be successful are usually afraid of something, right? The number one fear that people have in America is a fear of public speaking, right? Number two is death. Number one is public speaking, right? So not willing to go to Toastmasters and to go talk at chamber of commerce meetings or to hold local events where you can communicate out and then also take video and then promote those videos. Just succumbing to that fear, of not being willing to grow. That's the number one mistake the candidates make. So what happens is they fall into paralysis, right? That fear freezes them so they won't take action. They won't go and walk in over their neighbor's house and shake their hand, right? Because they're afraid, oh, what if my neighbor's a liberal? What if my neighbors are conservative? What if they're a Republican? What if they're a Democrat? Well, we, we have to get that out of our mind and we have to think they're a human, right? They're a person. Let's just go talk to them. Who cares about any type of of thoughts or ideas that are blocking us out from taking that action? We just have to do it. And then because we take the action, we'll be able to learn how to do it more efficiently and effectively in the future. We become better at communicating.
0: This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at We Libertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please check us out at We Are Libertarians.com. Are those dry, boring, run of the mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? <laughs> Always launching ideas in your direction. And now I'm Mike, a couple of years ago when you were on the show, it was just after the Libertarian National Convention. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the state of the party then. What I want to do is kind of look at it now. It's been, you know, two years since that point, since the Johnson Well campaign. There are all these campaigns ramping up that are the ton of elections that we're going to be finding out about in, in just about a month or so here. And I, I'm just kind of curious what is your overall thought about how the Libertarian Party has grown? I and mean, you can speak not only on the necessarily on the national level, numbers wise, but also just, you know, any success stories that you've seen, whether it's certain campaigns you've worked with or certain state parties, what can you sort of give us out there as a, as a general picture of picture of how things have been developing over the last few years? Because either way, even if you've been critical of Gary Johnson and Bill Weld and that whole campaign, which we all have, you can't deny that the libertarian party and that name is just more visible than it's ever been.
1: Yeah, we were definitely more successful because of that, ca- that campaign versus any negative that may have come out of it. So looking At the pockets of growth all around the country you can see these pockets of growth these campaign teams that are are working hard activists that are working hard and upgrading their skills i think we are better positioned right now for not just this election but 2020 than ever before i think there's going to be a whole different level of organization that we have across the country uh, coming up here in 2020 than we've ever seen however There is a however. There's
0: always a however, isn't there?
1: (laughs) I know there's going to be a lot of contention on whoever our presidential candidate is. And, you know, regardless, whoever our presidential candidate is, we have to build up our local areas. We need our local networks to be built up. Just did a talk with Marcos Morales, the chair of the Libertarian Party of Florida, and they have Operation First Step, where they're focusing on the lowest level campaigns they possibly can. Community development districts, soil and water boards, right? We're going to be doing the same thing again here in Washington State. School board, city council, these are seats that we can win. These are seats that we have won already in the past, our 2015 elections. So this is where we're going to have our biggest success across the country is getting more local libertarians elected.
0: I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on what that actual first step would be after someone makes that decision to run a campaign, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, I got inspired one day to you know run for LA City Council, for example. And, and now I have this idea in my head. I want to be the next city councilman of Los Angeles. I actually make an amazing salary. I looked it up. And I, I to the point I probably couldn't take it if I actually did do this. But this, might, this may or may not shock you because I know you know a lot about what a lot of these people make across the country. But the LA City Councilman, I was blown away when I found out they make $184,000 each per year.
1: Plus a per diem probably.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Plus, you know, all sorts of other stuff. But anyway, what? let's just say I wanted one of those coveted seats, but maybe I'd run on not taking that ridiculous salary for starters, but what would be my very first steps that that I would take? Presuming I had no idea. I've never interviewed Michael Pickens before. I have no idea what a campaign is even about. I just know I want to do this thing. I feel strongly about these principles. I think this is something that, that, you know, that I can maybe win or at least gain some traction with. So what's the first thing I should do? So
1: the first thing that I advise candidates to do, and I help them with, is to create a campaign prospectus or a campaign plan. It could be a short one. It could be a couple of pages long. It could be more in-depth review of the precincts, precincts in the district, or, you know, how, how they voted in the past and more detailed vision on the plan and the why. So your issues that you're going to be running your campaign on, this is something that could literally take, you know, two or three hours to create, but it's you sitting down and jotting down your thoughts on your campaign and what you plan on doing. Then once you have that campaign plan or prospectus, you can show people, you can say, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do if elected. This is this, this is that. Will you help me? And then because of that, because you have your plan written out, it makes people think that you have your shit together. No one wants to join a campaign where, you know, You don't have a plan on how you're going to get elected. So this is something that is critical because it also helps with fundraising, right? The candidates that are raising the most money right now, I see they have a plan and they're sending their plan out to donors, out to people to say, hey, check out my plan. This is what I'm doing with the money that you send me, right? This is how I plan on making an impact. People donate to your campaign if they think they're going to make an impact with their money right? And that's where the whole run for office three times comes in. If you commit to running for office three times, the first time you run for office, you can say that. And the people who donate to your campaign, they're investing in you becoming better because the second time or the third time you run, you know, the more success you had the first time, you'll be able to build on that. So it's an investment in the future, investment in liberty. If you only run one time, you're kind of doing those donors a disservice. If you are volunteering on a campaign just one time and you never do it again, you're doing all those people a disservice and yourself one as well, because you learn and grow as you go and gain the experience. So a campaign plan would be the very first thing. You can jot stuff down. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can then take it to other people and say, hey, check this out. Where can I improve this? And then other people will give the feedback. And guess what? You've got some new volunteers who are now volunteering on your campaign.
0: Yeah, on the, on the subject of campaigns, obviously there's a lot of libertarian campaigns more than I think ever at this point, you know, in this in this election cycle. Are there any out there? And obviously there's there's a few big ones that I think most people in tune with the libertarian party know have a chance to make an impact. Uh, everybody knows about the great work Larry Sharp is doing in New York. Obviously Gary Johnson is polling very well in in New Mexico and has a good chance to make an impact there if not win outright. Are there any other campaigns out there that y- you might want to highlight that you know that have an a, a, a good chance of either success in terms of winning a seat or just in terms of making a really strong impact and building more of a foundation? Are there any campaigns like that out there that you'd want to highlight?
1: You know, there's quite a few prominent libertarian campaigns out there. I can see that they're prominent and they're sharing stuff, but there's a few sleeper campaigns that I think are doing a lot of work behind the scenes that maybe most libertarians don't know about. There's a couple in Alaska, Mark Fish and C.N. Stevens. They're both running for state house. Mark Fish's district was already won by a Libertarian who ran for U.S. Senate in 2016. And the Libertarian got 1,000 more votes than the Republican. And it was like 2,500 more votes than the Democrat. So that's a seat that is winnable. He's got signs up around his district. Uh, He's been doing local media stuff. He's got a winnable race. And then C.N. Stevens, she's put up 1,500 marketing pieces around. She's got sponsored ads on Facebook sponsored marketing pieces so they're really taking the steps necessary to win in the back end so they have a great opportunity we could have two new state representatives in alaska and most libertarians wouldn't know where to hit them right but it'd be a, a big impact because if we can start getting libertarians elected at the state level uh, it's going to inspire more small successes lead to large successes
0: Right, it's really just about whether it's on the national level of people getting used to hearing that word libertarian as part of the conversation. Even if it's a negative part of the conversation, it's a part of the conversation. I mean, Donald Trump was a negative part of the conversation for most of the campaign for two years, and look where he is now. So a negative coverage is not always bad. In fact, just being taken seriously as something worth covering is huge. So the more we can get people out there, whether it's on the national level or even just in your localities, getting used to people seeing, oh, libertarians want. Oh, there's a libertarian in office. OK, this is now something that's a part of the conversation. It's something we can actually take seriously and listen to as opposed to just brushing aside as some extra people on the ballot that, you know, we can just we can just not even look at because who's even heard of these guys?
1: You brought Donald Trump up and during his <laughs> campaign during the caucuses. I was learning about his campaign. I wrote a blog post about it, but I haven't talked about it too much. And Donald Trump won every caucus state. Right? And there was something his campaign did that the other campaigns didn't do. And they brought in professional public speakers and trainers to teach people at the local level how to caucus and how to do it effectively and how to go out and recruit people to get them to the caucuses so Donald Trump can win. These were personal development coaches, these were uh, network marketing people, ones that are used to doing trainings. So the way that he won the caucus states is he had training is going on at the local level. So if you're running a campaign, you need to be holding trainings as a candidate, as a campaign manager on marketing and messaging for volunteers and how to go there and, you know, talk to people in their precincts, so on and so forth. The training for volunteers has to be taking place.
0: There are several lessons you can learn from Donald Trump's campaign. Uh, Some of them more surprising than others, I guess.
1: That's what I got from
0: it. <laughs> gotcha. uh, one more thing I'm curious about, and we'll talk about your book for a minute as well. But and I'm not asking you to name a name here or anything. But I'm just curious, what, what are the qualities that you think a Libertarian Party national presidential candidate should have, or even just a national type candidate, somebody who's going to be out there in the spotlight? And those qualities may be different than someone who's just running for city council. So what are some of those qualities that you think that the eventual twenty eight or 2020 Libertarian candidate should have?
1: Yeah, so they have to be able to speak in a way that sticks to principle, but at the same time, it's persuasive, right? There's few people in the party that I could see doing that right now, and it, you know Larry Sharp is one of them. I would love to see that. However, you know I hope he wins his governor's race, and after all the campaigning he's done, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he decided you know, not to go that route. But whoever it is, I want to make sure that they're able to be able to speak persuasively and inspire people to join. That's what we need. We need someone to motivate and to inspire.
0: Well, Mike, hopefully between our Candidates of of Liberty show that we've been doing and and bringing on people like yourself who are so deeply embedded in sort of the inner workings and the behind the scenes of these campaigns, hopefully all of this will inspire future people to get even more involved and, and to run for office. And of course, one place those people will soon be able to go for more help on that is not only the Libertarian Leadership Academy, which you run, but also your upcoming book. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that, your campaign success coach, what's going to be in that book that we haven't heard yet from Michael Pickens.
1: Yeah. So, you know, building the academy up and also building a business up over the past couple of years, I've been focusing more on the, my business that's outside of the Libertarian Party. So I've been working on ways like the online academy to where I could still have an impact, a positive impact, and not be focused so much on the minute details of getting campaigns started. So my next book also is going to have a course along with it. It's a workbook. It's called My Campaign Success Coach, and it's a step-by-step guide on setting up a campaign. So we go through every aspect of a campaign prospectus, the way to format it, the way to set it up, through asking questions and the person going through answering them, and then they can put it all together. And then also, you know, ways to recruit people, um, you know, get them committed to small tasks first, and then get them slowly working on bigger tasks to build up their confidence, right? This workbook, I believe, is going to help get brand new candidates on the right track as quickly as possible. So they're not wasting a lot of time. So they're not having to make the same mistakes that a lot of us have went through in the past, That you know, when we didn't have a guide to do it. So it's, it's going to be a self-training, self-teaching, if you will. You could just go through the workbook on it set up your campaign with that by the time you get done with that you should have a functioning functioning campaign
0: all right. Well, Michael Pickens, we will be looking out for that as well as all the work you're doing behind the scenes. And sometimes in front of the, well, I guess you're technically in front of a camera right now. People will just be hearing you as well, but I really do appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your vast knowledge with everyone out there. Before I let you go, why don't you just run through all the ways people can find out more information about yourself as well as the Libertarian Leadership Academy and where they can find the book soon. I'm sure it'll be on Amazon and all those uh, wonderful places.
1: Yeah. You can find everything that we do at libertarianleadership.org, we do have a new version of our magazine that's coming out next week as well. So I'm really excited about that. And we're going to have our webinars again, as well as some new trainings that are being developed. So I really appreciate you having me on your show, Mark. And I'd love to invite you on our new podcast that we're working on as well.
0: Well, it would be my pleasure. I will formally accept right here on the show. And I will publish this part so that now you're, t- you're locked in. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> excited about it. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's been a pleasure. All right, gang. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Pickens of the Libertarian Leadership Academy. If you're even remotely considering becoming a candidate, you got to check out Mike's work, uh, his training courses, as well as his upcoming book. He really knows what he's talking about when it comes to running campaigns. And of course, this ties right into the current spinoff show that we have going. In addition to those shows I mentioned at the top, we also have Candidates of Liberty, a sort of temporary show that's we're doing uh, just before this current election takes place in early November when so many libertarian candidates in so many races are going to be up for election. So, we wanted to have a platform for them to come on and talk about their campaigns. So, we have been doing that on Tuesdays. We'll probably doing be doing a few of those on Thursdays pretty soon just to fit a few more candidates in uh, before those elections in early November. And uh, we'll probably be, do a little recap show uh, once these elections are all complete as well. So just one more great reason to subscribe to this podcast. We give you such a variety of shows, including great interviews with tons of libertarian candidates out there. And if all of this great content is not enough for you, well, it's your lucky day. It's your lucky life because you can get access to even more podcasts from us by supporting us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash Liberty. You can support us for as little as $5 a month. Well, you can support us for even less than that, but $5 a month is what gets you access to the Lions of Liberty Pride, our secret Facebook group, uh, all sorts of extra bonus podcasts, as well as video podcasts. So we have a lot of extra content for you. Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, so, so, so much extra content if your main feed is just not enough Lions of Liberty for you. and you know We couldn't really blame you, to be honest. That's why we do this. We do this for you guys. We do this to help spread the ideas of liberty, hopefully in fun and interesting ways. So please do go ahead and consider supporting us, helping us grow this show, uh, and helping us to spread the ideas of liberty through this podcast. Until next time, folks, be sure to tune in to Brian McWilliams this coming Wednesday, and John Odermatt with Felony Friday on Friday. And until next time, folks. Live love! and live free.